Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're here in the room or you're joining us online, either way, man, we're really glad that you are worshiping with us today. I am Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor here. Really glad you're here, especially if you're new. We're really glad that you are here with us. And before we get into the, the meat of the sermon, I uh, just got a little personal thing I just want to share. We're pretty excited about this as a family. This is an all-time picture for me right here. This is me and our youngest, our baby girl, who will be 10 next month. That is our Layla, and she was a little bitty baby. And this, this picture means so much to me because when she was very, very little, she would start crying, and the only thing that would would make her stop is if her daddy would just lay down next to her, either on the bed, and just kind of, and she would just make eye contact and just and just never break it. And it was just precious. And I and I and I post this picture all the time. And the reason I bring it up today, if you don't know, she's our youngest. She'll be 10. And today is the ninth anniversary of when we were able to officially adopt her. So we are very excited about that. We call it Forever Day. And, you know, it's kind of an emotional day for her in a lot of ways. But I'm sure she would love it if you would just kindly welcome her a happy Forever Day. We're really excited about that. So anyways, just sharing a little personal stuff with you guys. But we started last week a series on money. And it was really funny, right after the service, I was having a conversation with somebody, and they were like, man, I knew this was like a money series, and I was listening to you, and you were, and you were talking, and it's like, man, this, he ain't even talked about, he ain't even talked about money at all, like, where, where is this even going? And it was a good conversation, and, but the funny thing about it for me, and then she said, is like, wait a second, I'm on the creative team, you told me exactly where all of this is going, so even for somebody who was there when we talked about it. It didn't really feel like the launch of a money series. You say money series, we didn't, we didn't talk, we didn't, there was no advice, you know, anything like that. Like, here's how you're doing bad with your money. You know, sometimes we, people say we're having a money series and really it's just cover for, we're going to talk about giving for a month or whatever. But really all we talked about was just, we were in the creation store and we talked about how great and amazing God is. Because what we're doing in this money series is a little bit different. We're telling a story. We're telling a story because we find ourselves in a situation that I think that calls for some investigation. Because there is a lot of brokenness in this world around money. There's a reason why it's one of the top three reasons why families break up. It's the reason why it's one of the top three things that people express anxiety and fear about. There's a reason why this is such a big deal internally to us in our relationships with friends, with family. It's the reason why it's such a huge problem in society, in, in, our, in our country, around the world, inequality and greed and selfishness. And there's a reason why this is such a big deal. Why is that? And so we did, we went back to the very, just the very beginning with the story of Adam, the story of creation. And, and, and the reason we did is because there's a thing that happens, make sure we understand. When we read the story of creation, Typically, when we read it, there's two things that kind of rattle around in a typical American Christian's mind. The first one be is, is questions of history. Do we, do I believe this really happened? This actually happened. Did it happen the way that it said? And what is that? How does that fit in with where what science says? And that's a big thing that people like to talk about when they read Genesis one through three. Another thing that people like to do is they like to answer. There's like a theolo- theological questions here. What does this tell us about the nature of man and about whether or not people are relatively good and sin and the consequences of sin and, and, and how sin entered the world? And we, we have deep theological conversations about it. And I'm not saying a negative thing about either one of those approaches. 
But I'm saying that there is, there is another way of looking at this, and it, and it comes from making sure that we understand who this was written for originally. Now, this was written during the time of Moses by Moses, probably maybe transcribed to some people. And so this was the target audience for the, the writing down of the story were the Israelites that were coming out of Egypt. And for 400 years, they'd been enslaved and had really lost touch as a people as to who God is and how they fit into God's story. And so what we have here, is, again, is a very interesting theological passage, a very interesting historical narrative about creation. There's lots there. But we also have this picture of God reintroducing himself to his people. Here is who I am. And here is how you fit into this world and this story. And so as he is reintroducing himself to his people, we talked about this last week, that there were two very significant points that we tried to make from this. And the two of them were this, is that the world belongs to God, and he has generously shared this world with us. So we have these, these, these two ideas, right? The world belongs to God. He, he created it. It's his. And, and when we see it, we say this, is, this, this belongs to him. He owns it. Uh, we, and, we, and we can learn a lot about, about him from it, about his creativity, about his power, his attention to detail. But we also learn in Genesis chapter 1, he's like, man, hey, I've placed he, I, I, you know, the first commandments given to people. Fill the earth, subdue it. Everything that you see, I am giving it to you. And so God has created this beautiful masterpiece and then created us essentially to be his stewards, his partners. And he is generously giving us the opportunity to experience this thing that he's created to, it, to its very fullest. And even though we didn't talk about money last week specifically, I mean, we see in these two ideas where it is going to be really easy for us as a society, as a church, as families, as individuals, where we can start to get off track with what it is that God wants from us. Because you know, not everyone believes that the world belongs to God. The world belongs to me, and if it belongs to me, I take and I get and I take what I want. Or we can believe, well, sure, it belongs to God, but He's actually a very cruel God. He's a, He's a mean God. He's a selfish God. He's a disinterested God, or whatever. And then, as such, it's His, but I still want it, and so I've got to sneak. I've got to sneak around to get what I want because I cannot trust a generous God to be generous and to be kind with me. And so we have this intro, and we already, I believe, in this intro, as we're learning about God and our place in it, um, we're already seeing where, where, we're, where we can get off track. And we talked about this last week. It's like, it's like basically, is that the God you believe in? You know, there's a sense in which that the world that's being described in Genesis 1 and 2, well, that doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore. The world, the, world is, the world is broken now. It's, it's broken. The world may be broken, but God is not broken. The world may be broken, but God hasn't changed. And a very generous, creative, all-powerful God is still the God. Is that the God you believe in? Is that the God we believe in? Not just think about but but believe in this this is who i this is who i know he is 
And so we continue on in this story. And so to this point, God has just given a general command to people at large in Genesis chapter 1. Fill the earth and subdue it. I'm giving everything to you. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to hear basically a repetition of this command, but a little more specifically to the first man, Adam, in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So that's a really interesting aspect of the story. And again, if we were just coming at it from a theological perspective or historic like, historical perspective, we'd have a lot of questions about this because it's really interesting. Adam says, okay, God says, I'm going to start you, Adam, in this most beautiful place that I have. It's going to be very, it's going to be very lush and it's going to be just very fruitful everywhere. And I'm going to put you in here specifically to start out and I want you to take care of this area. And all of it's yours. You can do whatever you want with it except for this, this one tree right here. That's the cause tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just, just don't mess with that. Don't eat, don't eat anything over there, but everything else belongs to you. And we have a lot of, if we, if we insert ourselves into the story or we think about what's going on here, it's like, man, that just seems weird. Like, why would you do that? Like, what's going on here with God? Like, 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 like what? Like, what? Like, why would you do that? Does it seem very smart on God's part? Like, what was the deal with it? Is it, is it, is it I mean, they start asking questions like, what is this? Is this Apple tree, like we 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 have all these all these questions about it because it doesn't really make sense. I mean, let's just say that for some reason God just has to. He has to have this tree on the earth. Sort of, I mean, put that bad boy in Australia, right? I have you guys in the Middle East over here, and I've got this tree, and we'll put it over here in Australia. And bro, you're gonna have to develop a lot of technology. I mean, uh, a lot of a lot of years are gonna have to pass before you're even gonna be able to make it to Australia. And then once you do, you may not. I mean, like, and or okay, no, it's got to be in the garden, bro. It seems like anytime anybody sees an angel, they get freaked out and scared. They're obviously kind of scary looking. Just put two of them out there with like flaming swords or whatever. And like, don't eat this tree. And if you've got to get past the flaming sword angel guards, something. But God's just like, man, just right here in the middle. Whoop, right here. Why would he do that? I would like to suggest that for what we're talking about, it, it just doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter why God did what he did. It doesn't matter why he set this particular rule, the, the nature of that rule. Because ultimately, you, we, all of us, we need to come to grips basically with this third basic fact. You know, God, everything belongs to God. He's generously shared it with us. And really it follows from that, this third one, God sets the rules. I mean, that just logically follows, doesn't it? It's his He's letting you share in it, and he gets to set the rules. I mean, the analogies, the metaphors for this are actually fairly simple and easy to understand. I'm going on vacation, so I'm going to contract with this person for an Airbnb. So I'm going to pay you. This is your house. They own the house. I'm, you know, I, they're going to let you stay in this house, and they get to set the rules for the nature of your stay there. You don't get to go there. It's like, man, that is a nice. TV. I'm just going to go ahead and take that TV. And they'd be like, bro, you can't take that TV. It's mine. It's like, well, you let me stay here. Like, bro, it doesn't make it your TV. You don't walk in and be like, man, I'm going to do some remodeling. 
I think the living room would be a little bit better for a little bit open. Like maybe just take out this wall, put in a little shiplap, maybe an island in the kitchen or whatever. Like you just French doors in the back. That was that's a rep. Anyways, um, like you just start remodeling. It's not yours. They set the standard for how you get to live there. And so this is what's happening here with God. God's like, this is mine. I want you to experience it to its fullest, but he gets to set the boundaries. But the thing is, when somebody sets a boundary, we got to figure out, well, it just becomes a little more attractive. Let me tell you something happened last night. I was, I was at a, 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 birth, a, a birthday celebration for a friend of mine, and um, we were at Top Golf, and there were about 24 of us, and four of these different golf, there were about 24 of us. We were on this end, and, and the birthday guy, he was at the, at the other end. And at one point, his wife comes over to me and says, man, you don't want to go over down there where he is. He is just acting crazy right now. Don't go about it. He's saying crazy stuff. Don't go down there. Now, I don't know what she thought was going to happen next. But she says that, and then she gets up, she starts talking to Heidi. And I'm like, doot, 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 doot. And so she kind of gives me a little hint about what he was saying. And so I just, I just kind of ask a loaded question in order to get him talking about whatever it is that he's been talking about. And sure enough, I got boop, and he goes, ah. And then his wife comes up, and she stands right next to me. And he's like, I told you not to come down here. Now you've got him talking about it. Like, what did you think was going to happen? I was minding my own business, perfectly happy over here, just playing golf with these folks. And you said something goofy, like, and don't go over. Like, oh, this is, I must. And this, and this is what happens here. This is what happens with them. God says, just not that. And it just, it, it, the next part of the story in Genesis chapter 3, it just seems like now at this point they can't take their eyes off of it. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we, we, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but, but God did say you must not eat, eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. <laughs> You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw, this is our key verse here, slow down here a little bit, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So here we go. We've got Adam and Eve now. They're hanging out. And where are they hanging out? Right by the tree. Well, it's in the middle. They can't help it. Sure, whatever. Right? They're just hanging out here by this. And, you know, it makes a big deal about that Eve is the one doing the talking, but it makes it very clear at the end. They're both there. And all of a sudden, she starts talking with the serpent. And again, there's a, again, there's a lot of theological questions here, and if you'd rather be diving into the weird theology and the nature of this story and the dynamics of it, I apologize, but we're just going to skip over the serpent and Satan and, and, and why it was Eve talking and what Adam was up to at the time. There's some great questions for another sermon in a completely different series. But for right now, what's important is, is that she is having this conversation. 
And you see, even in her early descriptions, she's exaggerating what God said. God said, just don't eat. Yeah, I mean, he said, can't eat. He said, can't even touch it. If you touch it, you're going to die. So she's already exaggerating the rule. Exaggerating the rule to make it seem even more ridiculous, which is on the step towards full justification. And he's like, hey, you're going to die? You're not going you're not, to you're not, you're not die, die. In fact... You, there's actually some good that will come from it. You're going to you're going to know some things now that you didn't know before, and so okay, okay. Well, I mean, you know, there's there there. I mean, there's some upside. I mean, God said there's downside, but it seems like there's also upside. And and now you begin to see this rationalization. She's looking at this tree. All right, that's obviously food. It's all these other food trees. It's food you you could. You could eat it. Yeah. It looks really good. It looks good. It's, it's pleasing to my eye. And actually, it seems like, on the whole, it actually would be better for me to, 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 to have this wisdom. And so, having completely and fully justified it, she just takes it. And so, the reality of it is, you know, God is he's great, he's awesome, it belongs to him. He's overwhelmingly generous. He gets to set the rules. But we believe, we believe we can just take whatever it is we want. We believe we take what we want. And then this, this essentially all of this rationalization with the snake, all of this rationalization that she has with um, herself really just comes down to it. When I look at this, I think it would be better for me. I want it. Doesn't matter what God says, doesn't matter anything. I have decided on my own that I want this. So the same guy who was meandering down to the opposite end of Top Golf last night to see what nonsense his friend is up to, this guy's been around for a long time, uh, from the time that I was in junior high, which uh, is, this was whew, 35 years old, this particular story is. And the story begins I was in Boy Scouts. And this is funny, it's not going to be funny to anybody else. But if you know who I am, and the story just starts with, and Charlie was in Boy Scouts, that's, that's, good, that's good enough for some of you. That's just funny by itself. But that's not the nature of this story. We're at this um, camp, and uh, we're in this inside deal. There's all these, you know, just, just kind of this dorm room with a lot of bunk beds. And my best friend's dad was one of the, one of the sponsors. And he is laying in one of these bunk beds looking at a magazine. I have no idea what this magazine, but he seems pretty infatuated with it. And so I just casually ask him, no real agenda or anything, like, hey, what is that magazine? He immediately just kind of suspiciously kind of wads it up, puts it aside. It's like, nothing. What? No, seriously, what is it? I'm not going to tell you. Can I, can I look at it? No. I'm like, this is getting more and more suspicious. And, I mean, I'm not trying to be cross any lines here, I'm a 14-year-old boy, fairly savvy, come across somebody who's got a magazine that he is not particularly interested in talking about. I've got some of my own ideas now about what's going on in this magazine, so now I'm incredibly curious about what's going on here. And um, so he gets up, he takes it, puts it under his mattress, starts to walk out of the room and turns around, whatever you do, do not look at that magazine. him walk out the room it's just me and his son and 
he was my best friend. He goes, don't do it, bro. But, I mean, there's just, there's just no choice. I must. He said I could. He's being suspicious. I've got a pretty good idea that whatever this is is going to be pleasing to the eye. Right? And so I, I reach under his mattress, pull out that magazine, and I swear to you, no lie, it is a catalog for farming equipment. <laughs> and I have been set up. He burst back into the room and just rips me a new one, which just feels to me 35 years later. It's just, I, what, what, come on, dude. It's farming equipment. Who cares? That's the answer. And then I go about my life. But this apparently I needed some sort of great moral lesson at the age of 14 about not being curious about men in their magazines or something. I don't know. But I just, I mean, I, I had to. I just, I I don't understand your rule. Your rule doesn't make sense. It seems like whatever this is is really interesting and good. And because of that, I want it. And it does not matter what you say. I'm, I've, I've got to. And I wouldn't say that there's anything, as, as uncomfortable as that was, I wouldn't say that it changed anything about my basic character or nature. I think under the same circumstances, I would have done that again. Because... We have this thing in us that if the rule doesn't make sense to me, it's not really a rule. And parents burn a lot of energy in this regard. Kids burn a lot of energy in this regard. Believing that in order for the rule to matter, in order for the rule to stick, it has to make sense to you. And any rule that doesn't make sense to you, any rule to that when I assess doesn't feel like it's good or not or bad or not, like whatever, I get to decide. I get to decide. And so it's a tree. It's from trees. All those trees. What's the difference between that tree and another tree? All these trees are the same. Tree's got good fruit. That tree's got good fruit. Looks good. That looks good. I'm just, just going to take. I'm just going to take this because your rule doesn't make any sense. And in fact, this actually seems like that there's going to be a positive from this. This is what we do. But that is the that is the characteristic of someone that does not believe in a generous God. We've already lost the premises here. This is not a generous God. And as such, his rules are not generous. They are designed for my detriment, not my benefit. And I get to decide what is or is not good. And if you're a part of Brandy's class, you know, you, you, you were there this last Wednesday, you know, the, the, she's, 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 she was hovering around these same verses. Because it's the same idea, the same basic concept of I look I see, I take. That is our attitude. And so now let's just get more specific, more explicit about money. This is who we are. God has a stamp. God is generous. And he said, I will take care of you. I will love you. I want you to experience. I want to bless you. I want you to have a great life. But I need you to understand that there are certain rules and guidelines in order for you to be able to really experience that life. You need to first understand that everything belongs to me. And as such, as an act of worship and as a reminder for you, I want you to take the first tenth of everything that you have. I want you to give it back to me because it belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. Actually, it all belongs to me. And as an act of worship and as a symbolic reminder in your mind, I want you to do that. What's he going to do? What's, what's, what's God going to do with money? God, I didn't need any money. 
We've got these little events, I guess, and they, they, maybe they need money, but that's just for me to decide. It's for me to decide. I'm not giving, oh, this ain't making sense. What's God really, it's, 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 it's fine. I'm just going to keep it. God's like, it doesn't belong to you. And also, don't buy things you don't have the money for, but I, don't, but I want it now. No, but, but don't do that. You're going to end up with some unsecured debt, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be devastating. Debt crushes you. God says this over and over again. But I want it. It's right there, and I want it, and I can't have it, and so I'm going to take it. You need to plan for the future. It's unwise not to. Well, but there's things I want now. I mean, well, no, what's going to happen in the future? But this, this thing, I want it. I want it. I want it. And you think, well, it looks good. I want it. It's going to be for me. It's going to be bad. It's going to happen. What's God actually going to do? And I'm just going to take it. I'm going to take it and make it mine. And we begin to have this attitude that if I see it and I think it looks good, it belongs to me. Again, we are unintentionally or by, by some, some sort of providence, we are weaving in Brandy's class on Wednesdays about sex and sexuality with, with, with what about money, just, just this attitude that we seem to have that if I see it and it looks like I want it and it looks good to me, I take it, it's mine. And that is undoing us everywhere, everywhere, in our financial lives, in our sexual lives, in all of our lives. We just have this, this, this sense, it's like I have entitlement and you, there is no one that gets to make rules for me. It comes down to I don't believe in a generous God. Like I told you very early on, like we're, we're celebrating our forever day. And I mean, that, that picture of her just kind of staring just deeply into my eyes and just the, the, the glow that's there. I mean, it was just, we bonded very early on. And she could just tell from a very, very young age, like this, this, I, this is my dude. And she knows, she knew then, she knows now. This guy will give me and do for me anything that I ever want to do. I just all I have to do is say it and it will happen. She knows it and she she takes advantage of me and I let her because she's awesome. She's great. But she does understand that there are rules from time to time and I think by and large like we're walking around Walmart and by and large say dad can I have that? And most often I'll say yes, why not? But sometimes I say no, we're not going to do that. And then of course the great kid mentality can I have that? It's like, no, it's fifty dollars. Like, do you not have fifty dollars? Like, that's really not the point. I have fifty dollars. I have fifty dollars for that, right? But she, but she, she never really threw a fit. She never really threw a fit about any of that, which is, which is unusual, I think, for for kids very often. But I think for her, she knows that you just gotta. If you just follow just like a couple of just like really basic rules, this dude will just overwhelm you with whatever it is that you want most of the time. And she lives. And a certain level of peace and, gener- and, and, and living a very generous life because she just understands this. But we don't because we don't believe that about God. We don't believe that unless I take what I want, I will not be blessed. And so it affects my money life. It affects my sex life. It affects every aspect of our life. And this is how the story ends, verse 7, chapter 3. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? 
He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The result of all of this, guilt, isolation, and shame. They immediately feel terrible about it. What they thought was going to be great from all of this was, well, I'm going to gain me some wisdom. It wasn't what they thought it was going to be. I'm sure they would have gladly given it back. They immediately, there's a problem between the two of them. They had never really noticed in any negative way that they were naked around each other. They were just only naked around each other, and it was only good. It was only great. Now suddenly they're aware of it. Now they hear God's coming. i got to hide. I'm isolated from my wife. i got to hide from God. i got to cover myself. I'm guilty. I'm shamed. I feel isolated from my spouse. I feel isolated from, from God. Everything about this world feels broken now. And preachers have it real easy right now. There was a time when I had to work really, really hard to convince an audience that the world is broken. That, that there's something wrong with the world. That, that greed and selfishness have just corrupted. And it just doesn't have to do that anymore. It's, not, it's just real easy. Hey guys, you know the world's broken. You know, amen. Like every, every, everybody knows. It's not, it's not a thing anymore. What, 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 what broke it? What is it? What is breaking it? It is us. It is this take mentality. And we spend all of this time thinking that if we can just reform the system, we can kill this. We need more freedom. We need less freedom. We need more government control. We need less government control. We need more capitalism. We need less capitalism. We need more socialism. We need less socialism. If I can just refine this system, we get the system perfect enough, then we'll be fine. But you change any, you have any system you want. And greedy people, corrupt people, will find a way to take what is theirs. And by greedy, corrupt people, I mean all of us. This is not the thing. The, the changing of systems is not going to be the thing that really gets at the heart of the thing that is broken in us about money and stuff. It is, it is a heart. It's a thing that is going on in our heart. And so we see all of this. And the next thing we see, we see Cain and Abel, the, the, the next generation, the first scriptures. We see murder. We see murder out of jealousy. This is where we are. This is the world. And I, here's, what I, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to go too far here. I do not want to add to your guilt, your isolation, and your shame. I don't want that. I just want to point to you that these things that already exist when it comes to your financial life. I want you to know where they came from. And I want you to get back to where you should be. So rather than just kind of piling on more guilt and shame on you, let's just acknowledge that it's real. Let's just confess to God. Let's just confess. Let's just repent to Him. As we take some time in the worship in the next few minutes, let's just repent. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have this take. I'm sorry I don't trust you. I'm sorry I haven't believed that you're generous. I'm sorry I haven't believed that you're good. I'm sorry that I've allowed this attitude to creep into my heart. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And let's spend some time just worshiping. Just like we did at the end of last week. Let's just spend some time worshiping, remembering, and thinking about a God that is big, a God that is great, a God that is good, and a God that is generous. And the more we sing about it, the more we think about it, the more I repent of the opposite, the more it can be real. Because it is the redemption that comes through Jesus. It is the redemption that comes through repentance. It is the redemption that comes from a sincere and deep and powerful belief in a good and big and generous God that is going to heal this problem. We'll spend some time over the next couple of weeks talking about maybe some more practical solutions to getting out of this. But let's not, let's, let's, let's not, let's not talk about symptoms. Let's not talk about the specifics of how it's playing out. But let's just go deep into the core of what is going on inside of us.
and say, God, I am sorry for that take mentality and the lack of trust that it represents. But I believe, God, that you are a good and powerful and generous God. Let's pray.